All right, thank you guys so much for being here tonight. So, so for the past few weeks, we have been talking about the seven seals um, on the scroll. And tonight, so the cool thing about chapter 10 tonight that we're getting into tonight is that this is another interlude. And so we got into this a few weeks ago where um, chapter seven was just an interlude for everything that was happening then, you know, kind of jumped in to talk about the position of the saints and what was going on with them and all this stuff. And so tonight there's another short interlude that happens. In a lot of ways, it's kind of like a pause for dramatic effect, but it also, you know, the last one talked about the position of the saints, but this one kind of pauses in the story to talk about John and his, his position and all of this, but also it's there to show us the importance of the words of God and how seriously we should take everything he says. Um, it's very much done on purpose because we see this, this pause happen in the middle of all this talk about death and destruction and all these things going on. And so it's kind of this pause to be like, hey, I know this, I know it sucks to hear about this, but you have to remember that the words of God are important and they are good for us, even if we don't want to hear them. So the good news is, this is a short interlude. I won't be talking for super long tonight, um, but there is a good bit to get into. So last week we talked about, we talked over and over and over again last week about this idea of God's patience and delaying his wrath, how over and over again, he kept giving these warnings. And he kept saying like, hey, this is coming. Like you, it's about to happen. And then he would, something would happen. There'd be destruction. There'd be panic. There'd be all this stuff. And he'd be like, hey, you can, you can avoid this. Like you can turn away from your sins. And every single time they kept refusing to repent over and over again. And so we saw him patiently waiting them. Um, but there are also two other things that we see in this interlude. One of them is John's God-given authority to prophesy. So like we're going to see you know, God showing that John has the authority to speak on his behalf, that he has the authority to prophesy, that he has the authority to relay these visions to his people. But we also see here God's perfect timing in consummating all of history. So we see that the God's timing is perfect and that what seems to us like pauses and delays is really actually just his perfect timing and has been his plan from the beginning. So we're going to break this into two parts. We're going to talk about the angel that we see in the beginning of this, and we're going to talk about the scroll that the angel is holding. So first, let's talk about the angel. Revelation chapter 10, starting in verse 1, says, Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud, with the rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a, he had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot in the sea and his left foot on the land. And he called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants the prophets. So right off the bat, let's talk about the description of this angel. So this is... Very, very heavily symbolic, just like we've seen before. You know, we're not actually expecting that there's going to be a very large angel that comes down and stands on the whole, on the whole earth and starts talking to John. But this is definitely like, you know, it's what he saw and it's what 
it's what we're meant to to think about here, but it's it's probably not actually going to happen in the end times. Instead, this is all symbolism. And what we see is that the angel has many attributes of God. Just like the father who sits on the throne, you know, we talked about this in, in chapter four, verse three. The angel's surrounded by a rainbow, just like God was in that image. This also represents the promise given to Noah after the flood, the reminder of God's provision and protection of his people. So so God is with this angel giving a promise to his people like, hey, I'm I'm still going to protect my people. I'm still going to provide for my people. Okay, the, I'm going to destroy this earth. I'm doing it again, but I will protect you as my people. But also, just like the description of the Son of Man, we saw this in Daniel, we saw this in, in Revelation chapter 1, verses 7, verses 16. So just like the description of the Son of Man, the angel comes in a cloud, just like how we see the Son of Man coming on the clouds, and his face shines like the sun. So we can't even see his face because of the glory that is radiating off of it. It's the same description given to Jesus back in chapter 1, but it it's showing us this amazing power this angel has, the glory and the might that he has. We also see his legs are described as pillars of fire, which references Exodus 13, 21 to 22, and then again in 14, when God led the Israelites through the wilderness by using a pillar of fire in the sky. So all these attributes are just showing us over and over again this, this idea this angel has these divine attributes. His voice is even described similar to how God's voice is described when he speaks, you know, the, with the voice of a lion roaring and with the voice of the, the thunders. And it's interesting but John is told not to write down what he hears. But this is important to remi- this is an important reminder to us that there's still so much God hasn't revealed to us yet, and that's all part of his plan. Like this is largely in a lot of ways because he knows that we can't comprehend it anyways. Like there's no reason for him to tell us because it wouldn't make any sense to us. But it's also a good reminder for us that part of faith is knowing that God knows a lot more than we do, and we have to be okay with that because he is good it's trusting that he is good and that his plan for us is good so then we get a little bit more into the description of this angel here his stance shows him having one foot in the sea one foot on the land and then his arms are kind of raised up to heaven and it shows him kind of covering all all three spheres of creation like god created the sea and everything in it god created the land and everything that walks on it he created the heavens and everything that inhabits them and so This angel is kind of uniting all sides of creation to show that what's happening is not only from God who created all of these things, but that this is God finally bringing all creation back under the dominion of Christ. So doing exactly what it was all created to do in the first place. Now, some commentators and some people believe that this angel is actually Jesus, um, because of the similarities between him and God, because of the voice of the lion, you know, say this is the lion of Judah, all this stuff. Um, however, the text seems to imply here that this is just another great angel that has come down from heaven. But it has the authority of God. It has attributes of God to show that this is, this is an angel bringing the authority of God to earth and it is bringing his will about. But essentially what we see here is This angel that spans all of creation is meant to show us that God's plan is for all of creation. It's the first point tonight, is that God's plan is for all of creation. Everything that has been created, whether it's in the sea, whether it's on the land, whether it's in the heavens, whether it flies in the air, no matter what it is, all humans, all animals, everything, all of it is part of God's plan. 
And this is important for us because what this shows us is that it's not just God's people that he has a plan for. It's not just the humans that he has a plan for, but it's all of creation. All of it had its, had its intended purpose. All of it has been allowed to fall into sin and fall into darkness. And all of it is going to be brought back under his dominion. And you have to remember, like he's, he's in control of everything already, but he's kind of allowed Satan to have control over certain parts of this world. And so now we're seeing where he's going to bring all of that back under his dominion. Like every, every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess, everybody's going to bow down before the Lord. We even see certain parts of scripture talking about how, how the animals can bow down and worship and even the rocks could bow down and worship. Like we're going to see all of creation standing before God, kneeling before him, praising him. And so this isn't just a plan for those of us who are in Christ. Though we're the ones who he's revealed this plan to so far. We're the ones that he has shown this plan to. And we're going to get more into that in a minute. But this plan is for all of creation. Um, and look, this isn't, it's clear here when he talks about that this, he goes on to say this mystery of God will be revealed at the seventh trumpet. So this takes place between the sixth and seventh trumpets. Last week we talked about the first six trumpets. Now we're getting into this interlude where it's like, oh, wait a second, let me, let me explain a little bit, and then we're going to get to the seventh trumpet. Just like how we were going through the seven, the seven seals being broken. We saw the first six seals, and then there was another interlude. Well, then there was the first interlude, and then the seventh seal. It's the same exact thing. It's just paralleling that. But the purpose of this here is to show us, like, is to remind us, like, hey, God is still, his words are still authoritative. He is still good. Everything John is saying, though it's unbelievable, though it's crazy, it's true, and it comes with the authority of God. It's also meant to show us that this plan of his encompasses all of creation. Like we need to go and be preaching the gospel to all people and bringing the gospel to all the nations and bringing these words to everybody around us because it applies to everyone around us. Like those who are under condemnation are also part of this plan. Their condemnation shows us the glory of God. And so when it talks about this mystery here, this isn't something that we don't know yet. God's plan is not a secret to us. Okay, God's plan is not a secret to us. He hasn't hidden it away from us so that we're just going to one day have this special knowledge, but that we don't have it yet. Instead, what we see here is that God's plan has been fully revealed to us in Christ on the cross. It was revealed to us in that moment that he sent his son to die for us. And even better, it was revealed back in the prophets because the prophets told us about Jesus long before he came. So this plan has been revealed to us. What it means by mystery here, you know, there's kind of two different ways we can take this. Both, both of them are true at the same time. One, this is a mystery to the rest of creation. So those that God has not revealed his plan to them because they're not part of his, like they're not part of his people. So those who are, who are living apart from God, who are living in their sin, who are wicked, who are going to be perishing in hell, those people have not they're not privy to God's plan. Like he hasn't revealed it to them. So for some, it is still a mystery. But also this word mystery in the Greek, really the way you can think about it is a secret that has been told to someone. So like it's a mystery that's been revealed to certain people. Like we know what this mystery is, but at some point he's going to reveal it to all of creation when he brings all things together at the very end. But see, the thing is, is that this isn't a secret to us because we know what God's plans are. We know that he's going to destroy heaven and earth and bring about a new heaven and earth. We know that all of history is going to end with every person kneeling before Christ. We know that he saved us and redeemed us on the cross and that he is going to one day glorify us so that we can be with him in eternity. 
We know all of this. And yeah, we may not know the specifics. Like there's still things that he hasn't revealed to us, but we know what his plan is for all of us and for all of creation. And so when it comes to this, this angel here that's coming and bringing this scroll down, you know, there's, there's several different kind of ideas about, about what's happening here. But what the main thing that we can grasp from this is that this, this angel is meant to represent the authority of God. Um, and that it's bringing the words, the scroll to John. And later we're going to see it's going to, it's going to have him eat the scroll, which sounds super weird, but it's meant to show us his authority and that he's taking in the word of God. We saw the same thing in Ezekiel. We'll get into that more in a minute. Um, and now this could be interpreted as the scroll that we've been talking about this whole time, the one where the seven seals were on it, it was broken. That would make sense because the scroll is open. Um, but it also just says it's a scroll. It doesn't specify if it's that scroll. So now speaking of the scroll, let's get into it. So picking up in um, verse 8, it says, Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy. Many people and nations, and you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. So the whole time this, this angel is holding this, this little scroll. And it's, the scroll probably isn't actually small. It's probably just small in relation to this, this angel that spans the whole earth. Um, but I love what happens here. Because this is crazy. The scroll, this angel comes up to John and says, hey, you need to take the scroll and you need to eat it. And my favorite part of this is that John doesn't even question it. Like all the crazy stuff he's seen so far, all the amazing, incredible, weird visions he's seen. And this angel comes up and says, hey, take this. And he's like, all right, I'm in. But really, this isn't new for John. It seems super sketchy, but this isn't the first time we've seen this happen in Scripture. So back in Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, we see the same account happening where Ezekiel is presented with a scroll. Could be the same scroll, could be a different scroll, but he's presented with the scroll. He's already seen these crazy visions, these crazy things have happened, and he is he's presented with the scroll and told, hey, eat this scroll, like take these words and ingest them and eat them. It's in verses 1 through 3, and then in verse 10, we see it again, this idea of him taking the scroll and eating it. In Ezekiel, this was meant to show Ezekiel's authority as a prophet, like he's taking the word of God. God has given him his words. He's eaten them. So he's taken them in and ingested them. And now he has the authority to prophesy. He took the words of God and stored them in his, in his inside of him. This seems to be a similar situation where John is being symbolically asked to ingest the words of God in order to prophesy. Um, he's already prophesied a lot. So it seems odd that he would just now be asked to, to prove his authority. But the thing is, is that we are right in the middle of learning about God's judgment on a sinful world. That's a difficult message for anyone. Even, even for believers, that's a difficult message to hear about the death and destruction that God himself will bring on this world, to hear about his wrath. But what we need to understand is that this message is God's message. Things are about to get a lot crazier in this book. And this is kind of this is kind of the, of God's way of saying, hey, no, 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 everything that John has said and will say is true, okay? You can take this as my word that he has taken and is now giving to you. 
It's also meant to symbolize John not just hearing the word, but actually taking it in and ingesting it and storing it inside of him, something that all of us could do better. Now, the scroll is described as something that is, it is sweet in the mouth of John. In Psalm 119, 103, it says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. So we've seen this idea of, this, of the words of God being sweet before, all the way back in the Old Testament. They often saw the law of God, the words of God, the, the things that God has spoken, the prophecies as being sweet, as being something that is good for us to eat. This idea of the word of God being sweeter than honey is a reminder that God's words are always good. God's words are always good. Everything that God says to us is good and it is helpful. We need to take his word seriously because his words are always important for us. His words are always something that, though it may be, it may be difficult for us to take in at times, like it, it may be hard for us to grasp, it may be hard for us to hear, it's still good because it's the words of God. But also we see that the scroll is bitter when it gets to John's stomach. It's, just, it's literally as if it's saying that this scroll may be the word of God, but it's still hard for him to digest. Like this is, this is something I think we can all relate to because there's a lot of parts in scripture where we read it. It's like, that's, that's difficult. I don't know how to take that. You know, I, I understand it's the word of God. I understand it's important. I understand I need it. It doesn't make it any easier. But it's important because what we, what we see here is a message that is divisive, it's controversial, it's difficult. It's the message that God is going to come and judge all people, that he's going to destroy this earth and every sinner that is in it. And it's hard because even Christians hear that. And as Christians who are commanded to love people and to love people well, it's like, man, I hard to imagine that some people are supposed to be going to hell. Some people are supposed to be killed. Like Some people are supposed to die from this, despite every opportunity they've been given to repent. And to hear how deep they are in their sin and this, this idea that they refuse to repent even after, even after everything, even after all these times where God has, has given them the chance to repent over and over again and shown them his mercy and his grace and his patience, they still refuse and they still hate God. That's hard for us, for, especially for those of us who know the grace and the goodness of God and to imagine that there are still people who are deserving of his punishment because they still hate him for it. All of this is difficult for us. It should be difficult for us as Christians. And that's the purpose of, of how the scroll is described here, where it's good because it's good for us and the words are good in our mouths, but it's still hard for us to understand sometimes. It's still hard for us to, to have good feelings about it at times because it's difficult. But essentially we... We get to the end of this interlude here, and we see that John is being told to continue to prophesy about the nations and the kings and the rulers and everything that's going on. It's essentially as if, as if this voice is telling him, okay, the break's over. You have to get back to work now. There's still so much left to be said. There's still so much left to be done. We're not even halfway through all this prophecy yet. You've got to keep going. You've got to keep being bold in your prophecy. I think ultimately what we see here is that we serve a God who's full of Mercy and patience. God is full of mercy and patience. See, in reality, every single one of these people that we've talked about should have been wiped out back in chapter one. 
this, this whole thing could have been sim- summed up in one sentence, that God came and killed all of the wicked. He didn't have to explain himself. He didn't have to give them other chances. He didn't have to allow them to repent. And yet he does. Not only does he delay his judgment and allow for repentance over and over again, showing us his amazing patience, but he chooses to explain himself. To show us, hey, this is my goodness. This is my glory. This is, this is everything that you could possibly understand about how good and glorious I am. And yet this is where humanity is. Not only have they just missed the mark, but they've gone in completely the opposite direction. They weren't even trying to get there in the first place. Like they have, they have spat on my name and they have defied me and they've chosen idols and false gods over me despite how good I am and how glorious I am and despite my immense power and authority. So of course they deserve this punishment and this pain. We don't ever have to doubt the love that God has for us and that he would take the time to spend this entire book explaining himself to us and giving us so much time to repent and turn back to him when we didn't deserve any of that. It's difficult for us to read passages like this sometimes and immediately understand why we should care about them or why they should matter to us. But I think sometimes even a reminder that God is good and he has a plan for all of creation and that we can trust him and that he has infinite mercy and patience for us. I think sometimes just that reminder is all that we need because it's the simple reminder of how good the God that we serve is. However, it's also important here that we see just how important God's words are and how authoritative they are in our lives, even when they're difficult or hard to understand. See, we need to understand how important it is for us to both understand and teach God's word. We have to see how important it is for us to understand and teach God's word. Guys, we don't just study God's word to make ourselves better. We study God's word so that we can teach and train others and pass on what it is that we've learned and what it is that we're studying. We need to be ingesting God's word, taking it in and then teaching it to others and bringing it to others and be bold at sharing the gospel with people and be bold to calling people to repentance and be bold and doing what this book has called us to do. And understanding that everybody who does not turn to the Lord is going to perish. And so we've got to preach the gospel to every single person that we meet and every person that we can. That starts with us taking God's word in and understanding it. And, and let me say, like, if you want to do better about reading and understanding God's word, there's this really great book that I can recommend. It's called How to Eat Your Bible by Nate Pikowitz. I probably have cop- copies of it in my office. Um, but then, but the bottom line is that we see that, guys, we need to understand his word and take it and actually believe it and live it out. If you want to know more about teaching the Bible, come talk to me. Like, I have resources. I can point you in the right direction for you to get started. All that we see in this interlude is, yes, the amazing mercy and patience and grace of God. But we also see that he has a good plan for us. His plan is contained all throughout this book. He has laid it out for us over and over again. And so we need to be familiar with this book and learn it and let it guide us and let it teach us so that we can teach others and guide them into a relationship with Christ and teach them what this book says. And we need to be able to do all of this, not just when it's convenient to us, but at all times and in all places. Now let's pray. God, you are so good. 
and so righteous and so holy. God, I thank you that you have given us your word. I thank you that you have given us all this, all this amazing wisdom and knowledge that we can gain. God, I thank you that your word is living and active, that it, we can apply it to our lives. I thank you that you've given us the ability to learn it and teach it to others. God, I thank you that you have equipped us to do what you have called us to do. I thank you that you've placed people in our lives to teach us the Bible, to teach us these scriptures, to walk alongside of us. God, I thank you for your amazing mercy and patience. God, I thank you that your plan is good. I thank you for who you are, who you have proven yourself to be time and time again. And I thank you that even the bad things in life point to your goodness. And I pray all of this in the precious name of Christ. Amen.